be involved in what we're doing here. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 64. And uh, we're going to be looking at the first three verses this evening, and then uh, we'll review, and then uh, we'll finish up the chapter we started two weeks ago. Verse 1, Isaiah writes, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. And when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things, or mighty things, which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. Again, the title of the Bible study is this, A Prayer for revival. Let's pray. God, we do need revival in our hearts. We definitely need revival in this world. We need revival in this nation. We need revival in our homes. We need revival in our church. Lord God, it's exciting to see what you're doing here. Uh, But Lord, uh, we want to be as tender to you as we possibly can. And Lord, we want to see you use us as much as you possibly can. We want to be as holy and Lord God, as close to you as we can. And so, Lord, show us tonight where we can grow. Thank you for this passage in Isaiah. May we learn and glean from it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. David said in Psalm 85, verse 6, he said, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Notice the connection between revival and rejoicing. Where there is revival... There is rejoicing where there is a spiritual dearth or emptiness or lull. There is the opposite of rejoicing. There is sorrow. And so revival brings about rejoicing. And think about someone who is uh, uh, losing their breath and uh, you call an ambulance and there's trauma and fear that sets in and all of a sudden the ambulance workers come in and they resuscitate the person back to life. Maybe they use those paddles and put them on the chest or they give the victim there or the person who's hurting mouth to mouth and they they bring them back. They resuscitate them. There's rejoicing over a life that's been brought from the edge of death and a life that's been uh, brought back. And uh, sometimes spiritually it can feel like that we need that revival. We need to be resuscitated. We need to be brought back. And uh, it, it can seem at times that we are walking through our Christian life and we're just not as godly as we know we ought to be or as we could be. And uh, we talked about two weeks ago how that our world needs a revival. We talked about how that our country needs a revival. And we all know those things and we all want those things. I believe everybody here would love to see uh, this country turn toward the Lord and uh, have a deep respect for God and that being uh, in love with the Lord Jesus would be made uh, popular and that uh, going to church would be normal and the Judeo-Christian ethic would be embraced and would become uh, uh, the popular thing to do in our country. But where does that all begin? It begins in our churches. It begins in our churches. We have a very unhealthy church in our country today. It's churches filled with people who are not very godly. 
It's churches where the preaching is very vanilla and very soft. It's preaching uh, where uh, people go to be made to feel good and they come in uh, as they were, or they come as they are and they leave as they were. We want our country to change, but we don't want to go to churches that push us to change. We want our countries to change, but we won't change. And you understand that America will not come back to God until me and you come back to God. Amen? America will not be fervent for the Lord until you and I become devout and fervent for the Lord. How about Second Chronicles 7.14? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. And that's exactly what we need. We need our land to be healed. We need our churches in this country to be healed. We, we need our own hearts to be healed. We definitely have a country and a world that need to be healed. And so a prayer for revival. That's exactly what Isaiah 64 is. Isaiah is looking at Israel at a time where they're away from the Lord and he's envisioning a time of great revival. So let's quickly review points 1 and 2 and then we'll get into the meat of points 3 and 4, verse 6 down toward the end of the chapter. We already covered 1 and 2, but just by way of review, let's look back over it. Number 1, we said a desire for God's power. Look with me at verse number 1. Isaiah says, Oh, that thou, speaking to God, wouldest rend the heavens or tear them, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, and when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence, when thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. Letter A, we see the past revisited. The past revisited. We talked about how that way back in Exodus chapter 19, that God came down to Mount Sinai and the mountains flowed down at His presence. The top of that mountain to this day is still charred where the fire fell down and God met with His people and when He spoke, the whole ground shook. And Isaiah, or rather, yeah, Isaiah is saying here, oh, that we might have a Mount Sinai type experience as a country yet again where God's power is put on display. We looked at letter B and we said the present realized. We looked at Acts chapter 1 where we're told that the power of God coming down does not look like Mount Sinai. It's not the rumbling and shaking of the earth and fire falling from heaven and consuming a, a sacrifice like he did with Elijah. I believe that was 1 Kings 17. Rather, Acts 1 tells us that the power of God comes down in the form of the Holy Ghost that indwells us, that takes us over, and that uh, works through us. So why? So that the Gospel can go forth in our Jerusalems and Judeas and our Samarias and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Letter C, we looked at, at God's presence renewed. Look with me, or rather, we looked at Ephesians 4 and uh, we saw that for God's power to work through us, there's some things that need to happen. We need to get sin out of our lives. I think about what Paul said 
there in the book of Romans where he said, There is that dwelleth in my flesh, I believe it's chapter 7, no good thing. There is no good thing that dwelleth in my flesh. That old flesh gets in the way. It causes me to be cranky. It causes me to be mean. It causes me to be unkind. It causes me to be moody at home. It causes me to uh, I get upset when someone cuts me off in traffic. It causes me to be aggressive at times. It causes me to be passive-aggressive at other times. It, it causes me to be lazy. It causes me to be a cheat. It causes me to lie. It causes me to be bitter and angry and full with all malice. But rather, for God's presence to be renewed and God's power to be revealed, what needs to happen? We need to confess our sin. We need to crucify our flesh. And we need to let the kindness and forgiveness and tenderheartedness of God be within us and dwell within us. For us to have revival, we must uh, and, and realize the power of God, we must crucify the flesh, and let the Spirit of God rule and reign within us. Now, I've not said anything in here tonight. All of you have not heard over and over and over and over again. But can I tell you right now that the battle over the flesh is real? And you and I face it every single day. You know what it's like to be going along? And maybe you had some time with the Lord. And you're thinking, man, today's going to be a good day. I've read my Bible. I got something really good out of it. I took some time to meditate. I took some time to pray. Man, I'm really feeling the Spirit moving in my life. And then all of a sudden, somebody looks at you the wrong way, or your spouse pushes that button, or that child of yours gets on your nerves, or that co-worker of yours just grates on your nerves, and boom, there comes the flesh flowing right out right there. You know what I'm talking about. It's real. That battle is real. And if we're going to see revival, we have to learn how to let the Spirit of God lead us and guide us and uh, take over our spirit and let the fruits of the Spirit be manifested in our lives, a desire for God's power. I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to live this life through my own strength or might or ability because my flesh is weak and flawed and disastrous. I want to walk through this life with God's Spirit ruling and reigning within me and God's power being displayed in my life. You know what? I have been in the presence of some prayer warriors. Some time back, I went and visited Mrs. Uh, uh, Joan Syrett in her home, and I sat on her back porch with her for about an hour, and uh, we just talked about life and uh, just discussed uh, the, 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 some things going on in her life, and before we left, I looked at her and I said, Miss Joan, I'd like us to pray together before I go. I said, would you pray? And I gave her some things to pray over. And have you ever been in the presence of someone who was just a saint and listened to them pray and thought, wow, they pray with great power. Their words are getting through to God. You know what I'm talking about tonight? I want to live my life like that. I want to know what it's like to have God's power flow through me and onto others. Number two, we saw a decision to be patient. Look at me at verse 4 and 5 of our text, Isaiah 64. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared, look here, for him that waiteth for thee. Now we saw that these verses are quoted 
in 1 Corinthians 2. And in 1 Corinthians 2, when it's quoted, it says, What the Lord hath prepared for him that love him, but here, here that waiteth for thee. And what was the conclusion we drew from this? When you love somebody, you patiently wait for them. When you love somebody, you wait for them to give you what they've promised. And uh, I love God enough to say, I have not, my eyes have not seen, my ears have not heard, neither has entered into my heart the things that God hath prepared for me. But look, I love God enough, and I know if I'm patient, He's going to show me those things. Verse 5, that meet, thou, thou meetest Him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned, in those is continuance, and we shall be saved. Now, don't miss what he's saying here. He's saying right now we're dealing with the wrath of God and the punishing hand of God. But those of us that are patient in this punishment, we're going to get on the other side of this punishment and we're going to see the goodness of God work through that and work in our lives. We're going to get to enjoy the fruits that come from being punishment, punished and refined. I don't know about you, I don't like being punished. I've had jobs where I've been called in the office and I've been, uh, I've been uh, chastised by a boss and I've been punished. I remember growing up, I'd get punished. I remember in college, I'd get called in because maybe the room wasn't clean just right or the dorm chores weren't done just right. And, and I'd get raked over the coals by the dorm soup and, and I'd be punished. And there have been times in my life where God has chastised me and punished me. But you know what? If you stay in love with God and you uh, are patient uh, with the process, you get to see the wonderful hand of God come about in your life. We want revival. We have to understand there are lulls, there are valleys in the Christian life, and sometimes God's walking us through to refine us or to punish us. But stay with it, my friend. God has something beautiful in store. Number three. I gave you number three uh, two weeks ago, but we didn't really talk about it. So let's get into the meat of point three here. Notice a declaration of sinful perversion. Look with me at Isaiah 64 and look at verse 6. Isaiah says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Isaiah looks around at everyone he knows, and he says, we are very wicked. We are so wicked that even those things that we do, that we believe to be righteous, are labeled as filthy rags. Now, I've dug into the Hebrew of that word filthy rags. I'm going to tell you what I found. That same word in other places in the Bible as translated as leprous rags. So think about this. A leper would have a pussy sore, and he would wrap that with a rag or a cloth. And once that had... Uh, uh, served its purpose, he would take it off and he would wash it. 
And then he would put it back over that sore. And then he would take it off and wash it and put it back over that sore. And once that rag could no longer be used because it had been so decayed and and had been so uh, disgusted, it would hang over a tree and then it would be thrown out. This is what Isaiah is comparing our righteousnesses to. The very best that you have to offer devoid of God, God views the way you and I would view that pussy, leprous rag. Tell me again why God should let you into heaven for being a good person. Your righteousness make the very, uh, uh, the very stomach of God sick, if you will. Turn over to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse number 1. And this isn't how we all started out. God made Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. And I love Genesis 1 and 2 because at the end of the first day, God said it was good. And at the end of the second day, God saw it and He said it was good. And at the end of the third day, fourth day, fifth day, God said it was good. And when God made Adam, God said it was good. But then when God made Eve and woke Adam up and Adam and Eve were together, it's the first time where you find the Bible says that it was very good. It was very good. And uh, God made Eve, and woman is the chief, uh, the, 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 the most prized creation of everything God created was the human woman. That was the most uh, prized thing that God made. And when Adam and Eve came together and had that relationship, God said it was very good. And uh, here we find in Genesis 3 that this couple who were made with no sin would make their way into sin. Look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He just lies to her. For God, and here comes the, so he questions truth, then he lies, and then he mixes truth and a lie. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, is that true? Was that was part of that statement true? The day they eat, the, they, the day they ate, did they begin to know the difference between good and evil? Yes, they did. But did they die? Oh, yes, they did. Look at verse six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the eye, it was ple- or lust of the lust of the flesh rather, and it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eye. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. That's where sin began. The teaching of original sin is, is biblical. 
This is the idea that you're not born good and corrupted by the world. No, you're born in sin. David said in Psalm 51 that he was conceived in sin. And he, he was born into iniquity. And we're all born with the desire to do wrong. You're not born perfect and corrupted by the world. No, you're born with that sin nature. You're born under that sin curse. And that begins at the very moment of conception because the two people that conceived you were sinners. Look at Romans chapter 3 and uh, look with me at verse number 9. The Bible says, what then? Are we better than they? This is the Jews not being any better than the Gentiles. No and no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Let me just say this evening that all of us are born in sin, and all of us are born with a bend against God and His Word. All of us are born with a spirit of rebellion that runs deep to the core of who we are. Anything good that we attempt to do, God sees it as filthy rags. Back in Isaiah 64, I'm going to point something out to you here. Look at verse 6. Isaiah says, but we are all as an unclean thing. Now, Isaiah is the one saying this. I want, I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Back in Isaiah 6... In the year that King Uzziah died, he said, the Bible says, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So notice, Isaiah in a vision saw God in his throne room. And what does the Bible say Isaiah did? In fact, this won't be on the live stream. Uh, uh, so if you're watching online, you're going to have to go pull the Bible out. Everybody turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to show you something here. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. It goes on and describes what the presence of God looked like. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. Twenty covered his face, twenty covered his feet, twenty did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. There's the power. And the house was filled with smoke. Now watch this. Isaiah walks in the presence of God and look at the very first thing he declares. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. 
I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Go back to Isaiah 64. Isaiah actually saw the presence of God. And he's the one that declares in chapter 64, verse 6, look there again, we are all as unclean things, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, we all do fade as a leaf, our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The man who saw God said this, he said, the very best we can do falls short with the Lord. You say, well then Pastor Lejeune, how can any of us get to heaven if all of us are this wicked? The only way any of us get to heaven is because the Lord draws us to Him. That's it. Now, I happen to believe that God does this a handful of ways. Romans 1 teaches that He puts the conscience inside of us. Jeremiah talks about the laws of God being written on our hearts. And then our conscience works with those laws to prick us and show us that we're wrong. And, and then He gives us creation. He gives us creation that cries out that there's a God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then, on top of those two things, He gives us the Holy Spirit. John 16, Jesus said He would send the Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin. We looked at that Sunday night. 1 Peter 3 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. While none of us are bent toward God, God has a strong bend toward us, and He has sent the Holy Spirit in the world to try to salvage each and every one of His prized creation to get them back to Him. But we see here that we are perverse in our sin. If we're going to find our way to revival, the very first thing we have to stop stop doing, Christians, is we stop, have to stop pretending like we're good. You and I are not good. Listening to me? You may be saved, but deep down inside of you is that old sinful nature. And it can take you down a very ugly path. It can hurt your family. I was reading through the book of Genesis. I came across something really fascinating. I've shared this with a couple people. Brother Nate, I shared this with you in my office. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. You remember the sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth? They all got on the ark with their wives. Remember that? Remember after they got off the ark, the Bible says that Noah was a husbandman. He planted a vineyard. Remember the Bible says he got drunk? He was laying in his tent naked. Remember that? The Bible says that Ham came in and saw his father's nakedness and then uh, Shem and Japheth walked backwards and covered him up with a blanket. Genesis, uh, I think it's 7 or 8, the Bible says that when Noah woke up, he realized what his son had done unto him. He did something to him. He didn't just see him. He did something to him. There was some homosexual act committed by Ham toward his father. What did, what did Noah do? He declared a curse on Ham. And he said, Your children will serve the children of Shem. So after I read that, I thought, Hmm, I wonder who the children of Ham are. And I wonder who the children of Shem are. Well, you can, you're welcome to go look at it for yourself. But the Bible tells us that the children of Ham were the Canaanites. 
that the children of Shem, one of them was Abraham. All these years later, there is still war going on between Ham's descendants and Shem's descendants right there in the Middle East. Do you think your actions don't matter? 4,000 years ago, Ham, in a moment of perverse, sinful lust, did something against his father, and the curse of God is still on those people all these years later. Oh, and it gets worse. Do you remember Lot having uh, relations with his two daughters? The, the, the Midianites and uh, uh, the Ammonites were born out of those two relationships. They're part of the crowd, giving the Israelites a hard time. And how about uh, Abraham uh, sleeping with Hagar and Ishmael being born? And the descendants of Ishmael. Can you see how that, when we make poor, sinful, perversive decisions, that it can have an impact on our children and our children's children thousands of years later even? Let's not be selfish. You think, well, I'm, I'm saved. Well, praise the Lord, you're saved, but you're capable of falling into the quagmire of deep sin. You be careful to make sure you're guided by the Spirit of God and not by your sinful, deceptive heart. Number four, notice a deference to the potter. A deference to the potter. Look at me at verse number eight. Isaiah 64, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou art thou our potter. I love when the Hebrew gets translated to English and it rhymes. Isn't that neat? And we are all the work of Thy hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech Thee, we are all Thy people. Thy holy cities are as a wilderness, Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers praise thee, is burned up with fire. And this was, this was um, uh, prophetic, because when this was written, the first temple had not yet been destroyed. It says, And all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold, wilt thou hold thy peace? and afflict us very sore. A deference to the potter. Turn over to Jeremiah 18. You know what a good attitude to have is? You are the potter, I am the clay, as the old song uh, that was sung um, in my youth growing up, Mold me and make me. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. I don't remember the rest of the song, but I know that's how it goes. Amen? Uh, if I was singing it, I'd remember it. Just trying to quote it, I'm not quite getting it. But you get the idea there. We ought to be we ought to be tender to the Lord. Look at Jeremiah 18. Look at verse 1. The word which came to Jerusalem from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. There I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred, in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as the potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in mine hands, O house of Israel. 
You, can you see that potter there on that wheel? That wheel is spinning and he's got the water being poured over that clay. And, and he's shaping it. And then all of a sudden, he hits a clump in there and he's got to reach in and pull it out. He's got to extract from that clay that part that's not moldable. And then uh, now he's got a little less material to work with. And the material that's left, he continues to try to shape into something. And, and, and as that clay yields to his hand, he can make it and shape it into something beautiful. And my friend, you and I are like that clay. If we want revival in our lives, we have to quit being stubborn toward God. And we have to uh, be malleable in the potter's hands so that he can make us into something great. I look at this on multiple tiers. First, I look at it on an individual level. I want God to see me as malleable in His hands. I want God to be able to shape me any so way He wants. I want God to bring blessings and I want God to bring pain in my life that's going to get me to be who I want, who He wants me to be. I look at that on a church level. Do you think, do you know that I think that in the 43 years that this church has existed, coming up on 44 here shortly, do you know that God has shaped this church? He's had His hands, His fingers down in that clay, corporately shaping this church body to be exactly what He wants it to be. You know, I think that that molding process is still going on. And God has a great plan for this church to grow and, and build and reach the community. I think that there's a view of this on our country's level where God has His hands on the wheel of our country uh, and He's shaping us as a potter shapes our country. He has a plan for us and even the world. But uh, to finish out the Bible study this evening, the question I want to ask you is this. How stubborn are you with God? How stubborn are you with God? One way to answer that question is this. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time that God dealt with me over a sin in my life and I actually pivoted and changed who I am? Do you, do you know when that was? When was the last time God put His finger on something in your life and said, you need to start doing that? Because that is a sin of omission. You should be more faithful to church. I'm preaching in the choir tonight. You're all here on a Wednesday night. You should be more consistent in your Bible reading. You should be kinder to your spouse. You should be uh, praying for that enemy at work. When was the last time you pivoted and said, you know what, Lord, you're right. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me and make me. I'm going to yield to you so that you can do a great uh, work in my life. I don't want God to have to take my stubborn, hard heart and throw it on the ground and shatter it in order to put it back on the wheel and remake it anew. Let's get that stubbornness out. Let's be tender to the Lord. And may God send us revival. Isaiah opened by saying, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. And I, my prayer tonight is that God would send revival to our hearts. May we be humble May we see ourselves as broken sinners in the hands of the potter. May he do something great with us. Let's stand for a word of prayer this evening. I'm glad you came out. Hope the Bible study was an encouragement to you. Please, 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 I beg you, take time each day to pray for what's coming on Sunday. Can each of you commit to do that tonight? To pray for what's coming on Sunday. Please, please, make that a matter of prayer that God would use that. Oh, our actors are working so hard. 
And uh, we want them to remember their lines and we want it to be impactful. And uh, it really is a powerful play that God would use it. Let's pray tonight. God, thank you for the word of, uh, of the Lord. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for uh, how powerful it is. And Lord, as we approach the end of this great book, thank you for how you've taught me many things with it. And Lord, those that have been faithful throughout it, Lord, how you've taught them as well. May we leave here tonight determined not to be stubborn, but to be, Lord, yielded and, uh, Lord, supple in your fingers. May you be able to mold us and shape us exactly to be what you want us to be. May we be filled with kindness and joy, Lord, at work and, uh, Lord, at home and all throughout our lives. Lord God, use us and may, Lord, we get the flesh out of the way. And, Lord God, be uh, servants of yours that do great and mighty things. Send revival to our hearts. And Lord God, we pray that the flames of revival would be stoked and become even greater at our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.